0: Mm-hmm. South Mead, the NHS, Teddy Boys, and High Class Laundry.
1: Providing general hospital services and
2: pioneering treatments.
3: A centre of
4: excellence for neurosurgery, renal and orthopaedics, delivering leading treatments in state-of-the-art facilities.
5: One of Europe's most modern hospitals, the Brunel building, designed to provide 21st century healthcare.
0: We provide services in a busy hospital and in the community close to patients' home.
6: Our emergency department is also a designated regional trauma centre. This means that we care for patients with a range of illnesses and injuries, from minor illness such as a broken foot, right up to a critically, multiply injured patient.
1: We carry out world-leading research in every area of patient care, undertaking over 500 research projects every year. We deliver
5: more than 6,000 babies a year in our delivery suite, in our birth centers and in the
1: community. As one of the biggest teaching trusts in the country, we're leading training for hospital staff and doctors and nurses of the future. We strive to provide excellent health care where patients come first.
0: There was a manor house mentioned in the area in 1319, located in the southern meadows of an old land estate. Then, by the late 1800s, Southmead was a small settlement just off Southmead Road.
7: My father was in the army for 22 years and was demobbed in October 1945. We lived in St Paul's in two rooms with five children and uh, my dad literally haunted the council house until a few days before Christmas Day we were given a council house in Southmead. My mother was overjoyed, absolutely. We'd never had a house before. We'd always gone all over the country with, with the army and been in flats, mostly.
8: I moved in Southmead I was about three. Because uh, houses down there were slum clearance. It was all poured down. And the people downtown, they moved out here. And Ringwood Crescent, when I moved into Ringwood, there was no lights, no lamps, no roads, no payments when we moved in there.
9: I was born in St Paul's. We had to move out because they called it the slum clearance, but it was poverty. It was really in the dark parts of Bristol. You know, I had the two brothers and sisters. We were all, like, sleeping in one great big room, and people, that they came down with their buckets, one toilet. You can imagine it was terrible. Dad couldn't get work on the docks. He'd walk from Milk Street, which is where I live, to Avonmouth, and uh, come back. What's the matter, Tom. No work, no work. So I was about 10 when I came out to Southmead, 1936, and I was scared. We were the underdogs, put it that way, you know.
7: We had nothing, had absolutely nothing when we came here. Believe it or not, we were drinking out of jam jars. My dad made lockers for our bedrooms with orange boxes, and my mum sewed curtains and put around them, and we were always hungry. Always, I can't ever remember not being hungry.
8: So you go through the door. There was a light switch on the wall. It was brass light switch, mounted on a wooden a bat patrice. To your right was a door to go into the front room. In this particular house was a Welsh dresser fitted by the council. You had a fireplace, cast iron and tile. There was no PowerPoints at all. If you had to do ironing, you had to plug into the light pendant. And all the light holders were provided by the council with white council light shade.
9: Well, it was a three-bedroom council house. It was the first time we had a toilet, a proper toilet, not just a piece of wood with a hole in the middle. And we had the bathroom to have a bath. We thought we were in heaven. You know, brand-new council house. Very um, austere, you know, nothing posh.
10: A nice kitchen, big old sink, <laughs> wooden draining board and a boiler in the corner. You boil the water and had a pump on the wall and as you pumped it, you pumped your hot water through into the bath and the water come out of the tap into the bath.
8: <laughs> it's pretty basic. Anything that wanted to go through the house had to come through the front door. So the coalman came in through the front door with his sacks and the coal bunker was under the stairs at the back of the house. The stairs, you came in the front door and the stairs immediately went up. So when your coal was delivered,
7: they'd empty up the sacks of coal and the dust was all over the kitchen. Your toilet was outside the back door, right? And the bathroom was off the kitchen. Now... Who? It must have been a man that designed it because why didn't he design a toilet near the bathroom <laughs> and the coal shed outside?
8: <laughs> I can tell you about the early days in Southmead. Mum and Dad were married in 1935 uh, and their first house was in uh, a, a cottage in Southmead Road. And when the Southmead estate was being built, they applied for a council house which they got in 1938 and they moved into that council house on the 4th of April 1938 and I have actually the rent book. The total rent for the property was 11 shillings and 10 pence which is just under 55 pence in today's money and that was for a three-bedroomed terraced house. Uh, My childhood was in Southmead and in those days There were no cars, so everybody played in the street. We used to play in Badox Woods, um, which was an area close by Southmead. Everybody played in the street. We played all sorts of games. And one of the things that I remember was there was a program called Dick Barton's Special Agent on the radio, and that always used to be at quarter to seven, and everybody but everybody used to go off the street into their, into their houses to listen to a quarter of an hour of Dick Barton. So the street would be empty between quarter to seven and seven o'clock, and then everybody came out again and played. I mean, in those days... Uh, everybody, uh, the church was basically the hub of the of Southmead. Um, in particular, as far as my my background is concerned, um, with the Baptist church, which was then in Charfield Road, everybody went to the Baptist church. We had a huge Sunday school. Um, I mean, there are times when uh, Sunday school outings uh, on a summer weekend, and there were what were called Charabangs in those days, which are now coaches of course, lined up all the way along Chalford Road to accommodate all the children. and we went to places I mean if we were lucky, you we went to places like Weston um, for a summer outing uh, with the Sunday school. So basically Southmead was a, it was a great place for bringing children up in those days. No cars, nothing like that. Um, one of the things that sticks in my memory was there used to be uh, a guy that came around with a horse and cart that was an ice cream wagon, um, and they used each to come round. This was before the war, because all that stopped as soon as the war started, um, uh, and things changed, you know, changed immeasurably uh, once uh, things had, had uh, taken a turn for the worst in
1: 1939. <laughs>
2: of the people that lived in Southmead worked at the Clifton Laundry on Southmead Road where I worked for years. And of course the people who lived in Clifton were the only ones that could afford to send laundry. And they used to pack it in uh, boxes with tissue paper and it was high class laundry. But then as the time went on They did what they call a semi-finished laundry, a bag wash. You just send it, they wash it and dry it and put it back in the bag and charge you so much a pound, you know. I went in as an office junior and then progressed to be a customer relations officer. Of course, in those days, people would buy a set of bed linen or two sheets to pillowcases. And if you lost one pillowcase, they wanted a claim for the whole set. So we used to have quite a lot of battles about that. Were those claims always genuine? <laughs> no. Uh. Americans, you know, there was a big camp of Americans. And of course the girls used to go mad when these Americans would come in with their laundry because they would bring them candy and stockings. And I think there was about four or five of them married GIs and went to America. One girl was quite attractive. One of the engineers that worked on all the washing machines and things, um, they fancied each other and had a sort of relationship. And the husband of the girl found out about it and he came up one morning, and stabbed the engineer. Oh, I tell you, it was high drama. It's all all these things happened.
11: What I want to talk about is the Teddy Boy era, which began in 1954, when South instigated the Teddy Boys, and then before you knew where it was, Barton Hill had a Teddy Boy sect, Lawrence Hill, and gradually it spread all around Bristol and then all around England. They just started wearing Edwardian clothes, long jackets, boot lace ties. Drain pipe trousers, were very tight. You'd have to lie on the bed to, to get them on. It'd take about literally about a quarter of an hour to get them on. They were so skin tight. Uh, blue suede shoes but the soles were about an a, a inch and a half thick. They had uh, long sideboards in the hair, or sideburns as they were called then, and a quiff. And their weapons were flick knives, d- knuckle dusters, uh, what they call safety razors. They, they that would be a, a razor blade, which you screw into the to handle to, to shave. But the actual blade, they they sew it inside their lapels. So if another Teddy Boy grabbed them by the lapels like that, it would cut their fingers to shreds. And the leader of the Southmeat Teddy Boys was called Brian Sugar, and he was famous all over the country, the news of the world. They did a full story about the Southmeat Teds, and the headline was "What Makes Sugar Tick." I was only sixteen, so I was sort of weighed down a peck in order, but they travel all around the country, and they go into a local cafe somewhere. All the local teds would be in there, and as soon as these all strange teddy boys walk in, they'd jump up immediately and start ready to fight, and all sugar would say, was, well, I'm sugar, Southmead," and they straight away, they'd say, oh, all right, mate, how are you getting on? like a coffee, a cup of tea, get you a Coke? Terrified. If they went to, say, Barton Hill or Lawrence Weston or, 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 or wherever, or Hartcliffe, to seek other teddy boys, have a gang battle, I'd keep out of that, I wouldn't go. I'd just hang around, and we used to sit outside the standard of England, and we'd all sit around chatting, and eventually they'd go off to fight somewhere and I'd just go home because I was too young. I mean, they'd go to Weston on the train, about 30 of them. The Weston people would hear they were coming and they'd all go home. They didn't need to because Teddy Woods weren't hurt ordinary people, but they'd be terrified. They'd all go in and Weston would become a ghost town. In the new autumn of 1958, Brian Sugar went to Barton Hill, went into a calf, usual thing, all the Teds in there, jumped out ready to fight he said, Sugar, Southmead. And this chap jumped up and said, I'm John Little, Barton Hill. And they fought, and Sugar lost. The story goes that Sugar was drunk and wasn't able to perform properly. His reputation had gone. The Southmead Teds broke up, and as they broke up, all the other ones broke up, and by the end of 58, no more Teds. For about another 10 years, right up until the 60s, Southmead as a whole had this reputation as being the roughest, toughest, area in Bristol.
0: So what does Southmead mean to me? Well, I've got cousins who live in South Mead and also my great-granddad used to live there as well. The comedian Justin Lee Collins is from the area. So is the actor who played Darth Vader in the old Star Wars movies. His name was Dave Prowse, I believe. He was also a, a bouncer and bodybuilder back in the day. A man of many talents. Let's hear from former pupils of the local Font Hill Primary School.
1: When I first started this school, the girls had one playground, weren't allowed to mix, and the boys had the other half of the playground with a metal fence in between, so we couldn't mix.
4: (laughs) This brings back an incredible memory. Um, I remember one one day, uh, on the way to school, one of the other boys dropped a lighted cigarette down the blouse of uh, one of the girls and um, the headmaster uh, assembled the whole school and he had his cane and he called him up onto the platform and went to cane him and the boy started fighting back and grabbed the cane and in the end he got a, a good thrashing
1: It, not as strange as I thought it would feel because it's changed so much. So it's not like being back where I was when I was 11, 12, 13. It doesn't feel the same at all, the school. I mean, we never had carpets for a start, you know, come on. And these lovely wooden desks that you could drop the lids oh, down. The and the ink wells, you know, I mean, yeah. things like that. It's, it's just quite different.
4: One of the things I can remember particularly is I lived in Charfield Road, so we walked to school. And at the uh, road junction with Penn Park Road, there was always a policeman there to see us across. And there were all these children walking along, all by themselves. No parents bringing children to school like there is today.
3: Well, we used to have a little bottle of milk a day, you know, in the morning, but that big with a straw. And we'd have one in the afternoon. That was free. Then, if we wanted to stay in to lunch, we could ask the teacher for a ticket. It's about that bit. And it was fourpence. Four P for a dinner ticket. So we could stay in to dinner. And then, I don't know if you know about it now, if don't still call her the same, but we had your knit nurse. Um, that was hilarious because they would say, oh, the knit nurse is here. And that was a good thing anyway, because it kept check on everything. I did have one girl who kept bullying me all the time because I was a little thin, pale-faced little kid. And I, w- I really was delicate. And this girl was bigger than me and stronger than me. and she, she used to say to me, let's have a fight. Let's have a fight in the playground and get the crowd around. And I was clever. I used to say, no. <laughs> I, I know I'd lose. no." But anyway, and we became good friends long after we got married and had our families and I brought it up to her one day and she was so surprised and she was really hurt, she said I said that to you? I said yes you did you really bullied me (laughs) but there again we ended up as friends
10: There used to be a police box down on the corner of Stanton Road in Penn Park where one side of it would be able to be opened by a policeman with a key but the other side was open to the public with a door and of course a lot of children from here opened the door on the way home and shouted a lot of abuse in her <laughs> into, into the police box.
6: But we, the, what we called the quadrangle, the garden in the middle here, um, we used to be out to in the summertime, or when it was nice weather, um, we could take out a mat and we had some lessons out in the, out in the garden, which was lovely, yeah. I think they, they had um, pet tortoises out there. I can't remember their names, but there was two tortoises out there. <laughs> well, if you, if you were naughty in a class, I remember you were stood on a line till the end of the lesson. Mr Dennis, he was very keen on the cane. <laughs> so before we all went to another lesson, he would give everyone on the line a cane. <laughs> this is a picture of my class when we were in one of the huts. Um, and I think it's the year, it's probably 1947 when it was that, That's the year I remember of the awful snow. It it didn't start snowing, I don't think, till February, but it went on and on and it was deeper and deeper.
4: I can remember on the day war broke out, some older boys coming in and shouting, war is declared, war is declared, and feeling frightened. Didn't... um, touches it first, you know, it was some time before the air raids actually began. I can remember the uh, first time the sirens went, first siren was undulating, and in the end it used to go
1: Because um, during the war our food rations were very small, we had very little of any kind of food at all, and um, so the government decided that all of us should have um, a third of a pint of milk every day, whether you liked it or not, you had your third of a pint of milk. <laughs> and if you wanted it warm, they used to balance it on these very radiators. Um, I just said, you know, they, they are the original radiators in here. Well, it looks like uh, it, yeah. yeah. and they used to... So you got this horrible... Warm milk.
4: <laughs>
1: oh, yes, yes. Of course, in the war, there were no bananas. One of the girls in my class, her father um, was in the army and he came home with a couple of bananas, and she brought one into school. So, everybody in our class had a, about a quarter of an inch. That's not as big as a, a centimetre, is it? You know, a little tiny piece of banana to taste because we'd forgotten what it tasted like. Because it was in the wartime, they had a,
6: a very large brick shelter in the playground. And I remember an air raid warning going and we had to go
3: into the um, big shelter. Looking at the place where the, the shelters were, brought back a lot of memories. Uh, There were big shelters underground where you went down steps, walked along. There were big benches, both sides of the shelter, where we sat until the all clear sounded. Then we would all march back to the classrooms. Sometimes, this went on two or three times in one day, the raids, but uh, it was the very bad raid when the Blitz BAC and that was a bad one. We had one in our road. Uh, People were killed. Uh, Well, one person was killed, others injured. Um, It was a terrible time for the war for all us young people.
10: I remember my mother being in the kitchen of our house at uh, Penport, looking across and seeing what she thought was a swarm of flies. And it turned out to be German bombers. And of course, they came over and bombed the BAC, and my mother was at home in Penn Park. I was halfway to the BAC here and all the banging and explosions were going on at at, the BAC and she wondered whether she'd ever see me again. (laughs) I remember a German bomber coming over so low that the anti-aircraft guns couldn't get at it and I saw the pilot and I saw the bombs drop out and it hit a house just behind us. There was a flare dropped on a parachute and the flare didn't go off. So, one of the men that lived at the top of Road went over and got the parachute and it's pure silk. And a lot of the girls had underwear made of that silk from the parachute.
5: (laughs) My name's Linda and I came here in 1950, age three. So I was in the nursery part and I've got very vivid memories of that nursery. Lovely memories. Not afraid or anything. And um, obviously it was plenty of play. Sandpit was outside, it was lovely. And we had to go to bed in the afternoon with a hard rusk mm. on a little camp bed and um, a little blanket, a little hard, hard blanket. Not, not some nice and fluffy. I just loved being here right the way through. Even though I'm, I'm nearly 60... It still feels like my school. I'd never do it now, but I used to get up in front of the whole class and sing. And I used to sing um, uh, The Minute You Walked in the Joint, the Shirley Bassey one. And it kind of... Um, I'd never do it now. I'd die, die of embarrassment. But when you're sort of eight years old, you don't have any any fear. And everyone loved it. And I suppose it was a bit of... Um, a bit of entertainment or a bit of jollity to, to, to break the day up, sort of thing. And the teachers didn't mind. Dina is a very good steady worker and should do well in the future. <laughs> and I can still remember it's uh, Miss Hoare that was. Spelling 30 out of 30. Mm. Problem solving? Oh 135 no. out of 150. Oh. Language, 40 out of 40. Comprehension, 60 out of 60. Mm. History, geography, simple science, very good. Oh. Needlework, handicraft, good neat work. Mm. Peeing and games, good.
0: For this episode, I'd like to thank Southmead Hospital... Anne-Marie McCormack, and Myers in Seoul Local Learning. This podcast has been brought to you by BCFM, Bristol's first community radio station, in partnership with Bristol 24-7, Bristol Museums, Bristol Archives, and the University of the West of England, funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Cheers, mate. Bye.